get our Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 6. And while you're doing that, I want to just uh, reiterate what Paul said a moment ago about baptism in a few weeks on Easter Sunday morning. I can't think of a better time to be baptized. Over 600 people were saved in this church last year. And uh, there have been... There have been uh, around 40 since January 1, and your next step in following Jesus is baptism. And so I want to encourage you, if you've never been baptized, to follow Jesus in baptism. And I can't think of a better time to do that than Easter Sunday morning. We call that service. It's outdoors. It's in the little circle over there. We put two, two tubs, and, uh, and, and we call it the smoke on the water service, all right, because it's cold and smoke's coming up off the water. But the, but the water is warm, all right, and you will love it. So sign up today. All right, well, over the past few weeks, we have been talking uh, about this series, this this series that we've been in in the book of Ephesians, and we've discovered who we are as believers as a result of who we are in Christ. And over the last few weeks, we've talked about how to walk worthy of who we are. We are to walk in holiness. We've talked about putting off the old self and putting on the new self. And we've talked about how we're to walk in unity and how we're to walk... Uh, in, in love and in light and in wisdom. And I love how the Apostle Paul takes this letter, which is an amazing letter, and how he just kind of brings it to a conclusion. He says, now that you know who you are and now you know how to act, he says, now get ready for battle. Get ready for battle. Get ready for some good old-fashioned spiritual warfare. Now that you've been equipped with this knowledge about who you are as a Christian, now you have been instructed on how to walk out the Christian life, then stand firm and get ready for battle. Now some of you can relate to what I'm talking about this morning because maybe you have recently experienced a battle. Some of you are maybe in the midst of a battle right now. Your marriage has all of a sudden taken a hit. There is friction between you and your husband, or you and your wife, and you're like, what in the world is going on here? Maybe you've gotten blindsided by an issue with one of your children, and, and there's like this cloud that's, that's hovering over your family. Maybe there's a misunderstanding that is all of a sudden taking place between you and someone else, and there's disunity, and there's dis, this, this division has crept into your, your, your friendship or, or into your life. Or maybe all of a sudden there's there's, there's conflict with someone at work and, and you're consumed by it and you don't know what to do with it. Maybe, maybe, maybe uh, there's fear inside of your heart where you just feel paralyzed that it didn't used to be there, but all of a sudden there's doubt and there's, there is this uncertainty that you're dealing with. Or maybe you're dealing with a sin issue that wasn't even an issue several months ago and now all of a sudden it's like, where did this come from? And you're just, it's like you're trapped in this thing and all of a sudden, many of you, you're reacting in different ways and you're wondering what in the world is going on in my life right now. Well, I want to tell you what's happening to many of you. Because some of you are going, how did I get to this point? What in the world is happening? Well, some of you have brought this upon yourself because of your bad choices. And now Satan is taking advantage of a situation. But to sum it up, let me read to you what is happening from God's very own word. In verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul says, finally, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. In other words, we are in a battle that is very real 
and very strategic. We are at war. We are in a spiritual war. You are in a spiritual battle against a very real, very formidable opponent. And most of the time, you may not even realize it. You may have not even seen it coming. And a lot of times, maybe we're actually numb to it because sometimes the attacks are so subtle. But make no mistake about it, we are in an ongoing, very real, very intense war with an enemy who is very intentional and very strategic. And there are a lot of things that are going on in this war. One of the things that's going on is you're being targeted and you're being attacked. The other thing that is happening is that in the midst of the spiritual battle is, it ex- is it's exposing the quality and the depth and the maturity of your faith. This is a test. This is a test to see whom your faith is really anchored in. If your faith is anchored in Christ and you're growing in your knowledge of God's word, then you see this for what it is, you know where the attacks are coming from, and you're looking to Jesus and you're responding with spiritual weapons. If you're not spiritually tuned into what's happening, then you're most likely responding in the flesh, which is probably leading you to react in pride or fear or doubt or maybe even some sinful behavior. And what's happening is you're finding yourself getting yourself deeper and deeper and deeper into conflict and disunity and trouble. Why? Because you don't realize you're in a battle. You don't realize who you're dealing with. And you're not quite sure how to respond. This is a fact. You and I are in a spiritual war. You may have heard heard of the term spiritual warfare before. What is spiritual warfare? Spiritual warfare is an ongoing conflict being waged in the invisible spiritual realm that is being manifest in the visible physical realm. That's Tony Evans' definition of spiritual warfare, and I like it. We are at war with a very formidable opponent by the name of Satan, the devil, Lucifer. who controls an enormous demonic force who wreaks havoc on the world that we live in, which in turn impacts our culture, it impacts our families, it impacts our workplace, it impacts us personally, and it impacts us as a church. It is God's kingdom against the kingdom of darkness 24-7. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, every single minute of every single day. Well, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13 gives us some solid advice on how we are to respond to spiritual warfare. It says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all of that, he says, stand firm. The Bible says, put on the armor of God. And when you do that, stand firm. Now, stand firm is is a defensive term. And it means to withstand or to stand against, or we're we're called to hold our ground against an enemy in these evil days, in the evil day. Now, why are we given this command? Well, again, and, and understand this, we're at war. This is a battle going on in this world that, that's, that's going on between invisible angelic forces and demonic forces, and that battle directly impacts you and me. And many of you are facing a spiritual battle right now. And maybe up until this moment, you weren't even aware of it. Maybe it didn't even cross your mind. 
Listen, when there's confusion, when there is disunity, when there's hatred, when there's conflict, when there is brother against brother, sister against sister, mom against dad, dad against mom, mom against all that stuff, chances are spiritual warfare is taking place. And that's why we are commanded to stand firm. Don't be shaken. Don't be thrown back. Don't fall apart. In other words, stand firm. Now, how in the world are we supposed to stand firm in this battle? Because, I mean, it's going on all the time, and we are, we, are, we are facing a very, very intense opponent. Well, there are some things that we need to understand and that we need to come to grips with. Well, first of all, we need to understand that we're in a battle. But the second thing we need to understand is that we're facing an enemy that is cunning, and he's very strategic, and he's very relentless. He's not giving up, and he's not going away anytime soon. Verse 12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the pre- this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of, de- of, of evil in the heavenly places. We, in other words, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Your enemy is not your husband. Your enemy is not your wife. Your enemy is not your children. Your enemy is not your brother. It's not your sister. It's not your mom or dad. It's not your neighbor. It's not your coworker, even though he may be a, a jerk. Your enemy, all right, your enemy is Satan and his demonic forces. And here's how the Bible describes him again. The rulers and the authorities, the cosmic powers over this dark world, and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. It almost sounds like a Star Wars movie, doesn't it? But this is legit, and it's a fact. Satan is a bad dude, and he's got a wicked army. But here are a few things that we need to remember about Satan, okay? Satan is powerful, but he's not all-powerful. Only God is all-powerful, and that's why God is omnipotent. Satan is, listen, he is knowing, but he's not all-knowing. Only God is all-knowing. That's why he is omniscient, uh, omniscient. all right? he, He moves very fast. They can only be at one place at one time. Some of you are saying, man, Satan's messing with me. Chances are if Satan is messing with you directly, you are a very important person. He can only be one place at one time. But he's got a huge, huge army. Huge army. Only God can be everywhere at one time. That's why we say that he is omnipresent. Now, Satan has two human targets. One is unbelievers. And you may be here this afternoon, this morning, and you, are, you have not yet become a Christian. You are what the Bible calls an unbeliever. And here's what Satan's target is for you. He wants to blind your mind with truth, to the truth. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 says, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. Again, Satan's goal is to block unbelievers from hearing and receiving the gospel. The Bible says he is a deceiver, he is a liar, he's a confuser, he's a manipulator. He is very aware of his future. And so what he would like to do is he would like to take as many people as he can to the place where he knows that he is going to go. That's his target for unbelievers. When it comes to believers, since he knows he can no longer own you and he can no longer possess you, what he would like to do is to lure you into living a defeated life. If he can't destroy you, he would like to spiritually disable you. He would like to distract you so that you're not powerful. 
so that you're not aware that you're actually walking in victory. He would like to make you anemic. He would also wants to lie to you and lure you into temptation. He's been working this plan since the beginning of time, and he's extremely good at it. He also wants to stir up disunity amongst believers. And we see him doing this all the time, stirring up the church, one person against another, stirring up the church against the church. Listen, if Westridge Church is disunified, then we become anemic in our mission to get people on a life-changing journey to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. If there's disunity, that can't happen. So how, how, how do we deal with Satan and his army? How do we survive this onslaught of attacks and this stuff called spiritual warfare that we're dealing with all the time? Here's what you do. You stand firm. You say, how in the world do I do that? Well, I've got some good news for you. If you are a child of God, then you have been sufficiently armed for battle. If you're a, if you're a follower of Jesus, then first of all, here's what you need to realize. You, are, you have already been made victorious through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ purchased you from the death grip that sin had over your life when he died, when he shed his blood for, uh, on the cross for your sins. He defeated sin, he fe- defeated death, and he defeated Satan once and for all when he died on the cross and he rose again from the grave. This is what we're going to celebrate in two weeks. That's why it's so important. That's why you need to be telling everybody that you can, come with me to church in two weeks. Did you know that 82% of people that you ask to come with you to church will come if you'll just ask them? They're just waiting for you to ask. And so if you know Jesus Christ is your personal Savior, then here's what you need to realize. You're a child of God, and you are already on the winning side. See, in this battle called spiritual warfare, we are not fighting for victory. We are fighting from victory. You're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. Colossians 2.15 says it this way. In this way, he, being Jesus, disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on a cross. In other words, this battle's already been won. The victory is already ours. So that's why the Apostle Paul can write in, in verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. In other words, you're not weak. You are strong in the Lord, so be strong. You have not been defeated. You've already won. So live in the strength of God's might. The second thing you need to realize is that you have legal authority over Satan. Now, we talked about this a few weeks ago in Ephesians chapter 2. About we t- as our, our position in Christ is we have been raised with Christ and we have been seated with him in the heavenlies. What does that mean? That means our authority. We have access to heavenly power and authority. As a child of God, you have legal authority over Satan. You don't belong to him. He does not have authority over you. You're not his puppet. You're not helpless. And you are not his tool. However, as we said a few weeks ago, Satan can penetrate our lives if we choose to sin. Our choice to sin gives Satan access to our lives. It opens up what the Bible describes as a foothold. And when when Satan has a foothold, he has a place to set up shop to mess with you. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13, verse 3 tells us again, listen, we have been given all spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms. But Satan, he wants you to feel spiritually poor. He wants you to be confused and defeated and to feel empty and to feel powerless and to feel discouraged and helpless and hopeless. But he has no right over you unless you choose to give it to him. But we also need to understand, and this is, this, is, this is really important, get this. 
You've been given armor. You've been given armor, and it is legit, and it's dangerous. In other words, you are armed and dangerous. Say it with me. I am armed and dangerous. You remember that as you go through the week. I'm armed and dangerous. Look at verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil days. And having done all all to stand firm, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, I want you to think about, again, where is Paul when he is writing this letter to the church in Ephesus? He is in a Roman jail cell chained to Roman soldiers. So as he is writing this letter, what is he looking at? He's looking at a soldier who is armed for battle from head to toe. And he says, put on the full armor of God every single day. Now let's talk for a moment about this armor. He says, armor. He says first of all, in verse 14, put on the belt of truth. When a soldier would get ready for battle, he would take his tunic, which was like a, a long robe that he would wear, and he would tuck it down into his belt, okay? And, and his sword would be fastened to his belt. His breastplate would be connected to his belt. The belt was important, why? Because it held everything together. When you are in a war with an enemy that is trying to take away your joy and to rob you of your purpose in in life and your future, he's trying to attack your family, even your life, you don't ever want to go into battle without the belt of truth. Why? Because, remember, Satan's a liar. He's a deceiver. He loves to take truth and to twist it. He likes to turn it against you. Remember what he did with Eve in in the Garden of Eden? God was very clear with Eve, don't eat from that tree. And Satan said, God really didn't mean that. He he didn't really say that. He didn't mean what he was, he he meant something different. And Adam and Eve fell into that. See, this is why it's so important that we know God's truth and we believe it and take it for for what it is. See, we live in a world that says, well, well, maybe truth for you is not truth for me. In other words, we're moving away from objective truth to what we call relative truth, where everything then becomes relative. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment being in a plane and you're getting ready to land. And the pilot and the co-pilot are having a disagreement over the standard of truth on how to land the plane. The pilot is very clear. He's very narrow-minded and is, he's saying, listen, let's stay with the manual because it works every single time. But the co-pilot is saying, no, 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 no. It's all relative. I'm just going to pull any lever. I'm going to push any button I want because what may work for you may not work for me. I don't want to be in that plane. Or if you're on the operating table and you've got some brain surgery going on and the head surgeon is saying, we're going to stay with the manual we're gonna, because we know this works. And another guy comes in and goes, no, nah, I'm just going to do whatever I want. In this. What worked for you, what didn't work, you know, that may not work for me. I'm not going to that emergency room, that operating table. I want truth in this world. Listen, God's word is our objective standard of truth. And when the world says something that goes against God's word, listen, here's what we have to do. We have to stand firm. And we have to say, this is what truth says. When your feelings contradict God's truth, that's where you have to stand firm and you have to go with truth. 
So every single day, you put on the belt of truth. What is the belt of truth? The truth of God's word. Then we put on the breastplate of righteousness. A Roman soldier's breastplate, it covered his, it covered his chest, it covered his heart. Now, what's the best way to cover your heart in spiritual warfare? It is to be covered with the righteousness of Christ. Now, listen here. I'm going to go back to Ephesians chapters 1 through 3 for just a moment, where the Bible talks about who we are in Christ. When you trusted Jesus Christ to be your Savior, something amazing happened. A transaction took place. Something was transferred over to you. Jesus Christ gave you his perfect righteousness. In other words, you stand as righteous in God's sight as Jesus himself. So when Satan accuses you or he tries to mess with your head and to tell you that you're worthless and you're hopeless and you have no future, you can point to your righteous standing before God. Now listen, you don't get up in the morning and determine that you're going to be righteous. That's human effort. You get up in the morning and you say, because of Jesus Christ, I'm already righteous. You see, Satan and his demons, they can't hang out in an environment of righteousness. Now, we're all going to fall at times. We're going to sin. But that's where you confess your sins, 1 John 1, 9. That's where you repent and you keep standing firm in the battle. You keep moving forward. Sometimes you stay in a defensive position. You withstand the onslaught of the enemy. But your breastplate protects your identity in Christ. You are righteous in Jesus Christ. Then you put on the shoes of peace. Now, Roman soldiers, they wore shoes with cleats on them so they wouldn't lose their footing during the battle. And some of you may be in this building this morning and you feel like you're losing your footing in the battle right now. You're sliding and slipping all over the place. This is when you need the peace of God anchoring your footing to help you to stand firm. Now, there's two kinds of peace that are described in the Bible. One is peace with God. Peace with God comes when you place your faith in Jesus Christ to be your Savior and you become a Christian. Romans 5.1 describes it this way. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Justified by faith means that things have been made right once and for all between you and God. There's no more disunity. There's no more division between the two of you. You, are, you have peace with God. The second piece is the peace of God. Now, we all know that life is full of trials. It is full of trouble. It's full of turmoils. I mean, it's full of challenges. But Paul says we need to be able to stand firm in peace because the world we are facing is not always peaceful. There's stuff going on all around us all the time. When I'm praying over someone who has just lost a family member or someone who's going through a really painful circumstance, I will always try to play, uh, pray Philippians chapter 4, verse 7 over them. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, what will it do? It will guard your heart and it will guard your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God has the ability to put a guard around our heart, to put a guard around our minds as we're, as we're trying to stand firm in the midst of spiritual warfare. And then Paul says, put on the shield of faith, uh, faith verse 16. Now, why do I need a shield? Well, Paul says, so you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. The shield that a Roman soldier carried into battle was about a four and a half foot piece of square piece of wood. And it was this huge wooden shield that, that would cover not only the body of a soldier, but it would even cover part of the, of, of the soldier that was fighting side by, uh, next to him. And the shields, they had, they had hinges on them. And so when, it, when, when, when 
an army was coming strong against another army. Sometimes these soldiers, they would lock their shields together. And if a soldier was wounded, he could actually lock shields with a stronger soldier next to him to, to protect that guy. Now, do you see the picture here? Do you know anybody in your life right now that's getting nailed, just getting hammered by the enemy's arrows? Someone in your life, you're looking and you go, man, they're wounded. Here's what you do. You reach out to them and you lock shields and you cover them and you protect them with the shield of faith. Now, Paul mentions the words flaming arrows. Back in the day when this was written, soldiers would take, uh, they would take an arrow and they would take the point of the arrow and they would dip it into tar and they would light it on fire and they would pull back their bow and they would shoot it. And soldiers on the defense would dip their shields in water. And so, so when that flame hit the wood, it would immediately extinguish the fire. Listen, your faith in God and your faith in the power of his word have the power to extinguish, extinguish anything Satan throws at you. When you are tempted, what do you do? You put up your shield of faith, your faith in Jesus Christ. When you are going through doubt, when you are going through fear, when you are dealing with discouragement, you go back to your faith in Jesus Christ. Because it has the power to extinguish anything that Satan throws against you. If, you're, if your faith is shaking a bit right now, here's what you do. You lock shields with someone else around you, a more, maybe a mature believer, and you say, listen, stand with me. That's one of the reasons why it's so important that you're in a small group in this church. Because all of us are getting hit constantly. And we need people in our lives. Other people who are walking this life with us. Other people who might even be more mature than us. People that we can talk to every week. People that are shepherding us through this journey. As we raise kids, as we, as we just go into the workplace. We need to be in small groups with people who around us that we can lock shields of faith with. And then we need to put on, Paul says, the helmet of salvation. Now, what is the function of the head? Well, it's the control center of the body. Everything that makes the body do what it does comes from the head. And you can survive a knife to the body sometimes, but you're never going to survive a big sword to the head. This is probably not going to happen. Jesus is the head of the body of Christ. And here's what we need to remember. Satan has already tried to take a blow at Jesus, and Jesus put him down. That's why, that's why our strength and our salvation is found in Christ alone. See, Satan can swing all day long at, he, at you. I mean, he can swing at the body of Christ, but ultimately he can't defeat you. He can't defeat us because our salvation is secure in Jesus. See, here's what Satan knows. He knows he's already lost to the head. He knows he's already lost to Jesus. So here's what he's going to do. He's going to try to swing away and try to, to divide the body. That's why as a church, we have to be committed to standing firm. We're going to have our differences, but we have to let our salvation in Jesus Christ unite us. Let it be our rallying point. Let it compel us to want to even add more people to the ranks to advance the kingdom of God. To we need to pull more people into, the, into God's army. Listen to the words of Jesus in, Ma in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. He says, I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now some of you are going, you're reading that in the King James. What's up with that? My, I, my wife asked me that this morning. I just like the way that reads. It's got power behind it. 
Listen, as long as we continue to build this church on the true rock of Jesus and on the biblical principles found in his word, Jesus himself said the gates of hell will not be able to come against it. And then he says, put on the sword of the spirit. Take up the sword of the spirit, verse 17. The sword mentioned here, it was, it was a sword that was sharp on both sides. It was pointed and it was lethal. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Now let me give you an interesting fact. The word that Paul uses here for the word word does not refer to the Bible as a written book of truth. It's not about a book sitting on a bookcase in your house. This word that Paul uses is the word rima. It's the spoken word of God. Paul is talking about the, the use of the word, not just the existence of the word. Listen, almost every one of you in this room have one of these. Statistically, Americans have about four of these in their house. But some of you are not aware of how to use this in spiritual warfare. Satan loves to hear you bicker against him. He loves to hear us bicker against each other. He loves to hear us complain. He laughs in your face. Why? Because your words have no power over him. None. Our offensive weapon to fight against Satan is what? The word of God. The spoken word of God. When Satan came against Jesus, he didn't argue with him or dialogue with him. What did Jesus do? He just threw the words of God right back in his face. And when Jesus hit him with the word, the battle was over. Satan has a scheme. And maybe some of you have taken him lightly. Maybe some of you, you just realize, you know what? I've been blindsided. And as a result, your faith has been a little bit shaken. Listen, this is no game and Satan takes no prisoners. His, his plan is very clear and it's laid out right in front of us. John chapter 10, verse 10. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He comes in the back door of the sheep gate to kill, steal, and destroy. Say, so how do I activate this armor? The armor is activated by faith. It's activated by a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Each piece of armor becomes more powerful as you get to know Jesus in a, more, in a, in a, deep, in a deeper way. Next week, listen, we're going to talk about the power of prayer in the midst of this battle. But listen, this week and every single day, as you get up out of bed, you, just, you put on the armor of God. I mean, even, even if you have to just symbolically go, today I'm going to put on the helmet of salvation. Lord, I'm putting on the belt. I mean, just stand at your bed and do it. Your wife's going to go, what are you doing? I'm, I'm putting on the armor of God. If that will help you to do it, then maybe she'll, I'll put it on too. she jump out. I'm putting on my helmet of salvation. Gospel shoes of peace. And then you go into battle. But listen, here's what you have to remember. Your armor is directly connected to your relationship with Jesus. The belt of truth, John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the truth. The breastplate of righteousness, 1 Corinthians 1.30, Jesus is righteousness. The shoes of peace, Philippians 4.7, God is peace. The, field of sh- the, the, the shield of faith, where is your faith found? It's found in Jesus. He is the source of your faith. The helmet of salvation, Jesus, he says in uh, John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way. There is no other way to salvation but through him. The sword of the spirit, John chapter one, verse one. Jesus is the word. He's also the truth. So every day you have to put it on knowing that you're going into battle against a ruthless enemy. Why? 
because we're called to stand firm. We're called to withstand the attacks of the enemy. Now, there's a story in the Bible that I want to end with, and it's a very familiar story. Peter denies Jesus three times. Jesus is arrested in the garden, and right after that, he's, he's walking into, into the city of Jerusalem. Peter's behind him, and people are confronting him, and, and Peter's denying that he ever knew him. Out of fear, he denies that he was even one of his followers. Now, a few hours before that happened, I want you to listen to what, a conversation that Jesus actually had with Peter. In Luke 22, verse 31, Jesus tells Peter, he said, listen, Satan has asked. That's interesting, isn't it? Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. In other words, he's coming after you, Peter. He's going to shake you up a bit, but I'm praying for you that your faith will not fail because when you come back, you're going to be stronger than ever. Satan actually came after Peter to sift him like wheat. That's what I'd call a spiritual attack. And as Peter was denying Jesus, what was going on? He was, in, he was in, involved in, in a very intense, very real spiritual battle. Satan wanted to take him out. And Peter was shaken. He was paralyzed by doubt and fear. And some of you in this room this morning, you may be in the same place. I mean, you're a little bit battle-weary right now. Maybe you've lost a few rounds. You are, you are, maybe you're shaken right now by, by doubt and fear. You're, you're struggling. Listen, the story doesn't end there. After Peter denied Jesus, he makes an amazing comeback. He goes through the death of Jesus. He's there at the resurrection of Jesus. He's there when Jesus ascends into heaven. And then when do we see him next? He, we see him in the book of Acts, stronger than ever, being filled with the Holy Spirit, boldly standing in the courtyards of Jerusalem, in front of the Sanhedrin, in front of the Pharisees, in front of all of the doubters and this and that, preaching Jesus in the face of opposition. What is he doing? He's standing firm. Standing firm. It's never too late to jump back into the battle. You may be down. You may be a little bit punch drunk. You may have taken some shots. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're not out. So get back up and stand firm. Get back up and stand firm. Let's bow our heads for a moment. If you're here today and you are, as I described a moment ago, you're an unbeliever. You've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to be your Savior. Maybe up to this moment, Satan has been blinding you from the truth. Purposefully hiding it from you. Trying to keep you from it. Someone may have brought you here today. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit is working in your heart. And the truth has been revealed and you're like, that makes sense to me. What do I do? The Bible says if you will put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ alone to be your Savior, you will be saved. You will go from being unrighteous to being righteous. You will go from being lost to being found. Unsaved to saved. Unbeliever to believer. Say, what do I do? I want you to pray with me right now. Father, just say, Lord, at this moment, I put all of my faith and all of my trust in you, in Jesus.
what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross was enough. And I put my faith and my trust in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And I receive by faith the gift of salvation that's been offered to me by grace. Jesus, you are the Son of God. Lord, I repent of my sins and I ask you to come into my life and to save me.